0: we go. That's why I got confused in my head. We know that phrase, don't we? Really, though, being more serious. It's not what you know, but who you know. But what I want to say is it's actually even sharper than that. It's not what you know, it's not who you know, but it's who knows you. It's who knows you. That's one of the kind of big things we're going to see as we look at this passage tonight. But maybe think of it in these kind of terms. Imagine you're not here this evening and you're on that holiday, it got extended for another week and you're still somewhere in the beautiful sun, somewhere on the continent or you've got even somewhere further away. And imagine you're away on holiday and you've lost your passport. What do you need at that moment? You need to get to your consulate, whichever country you're from, and you need them to be able to say, we know him or her, don't you? Or think about when you were a child and you were in the schoolyard and there was that big person coming up against you. What you need in that moment is you need your big brother or sister to say, I know her. I know him. It's not what you know. It's not who you know. But it's who knows you. Uh, What I said last week is we're looking at a section of the Psalms, Psalms 113 to 118. These were a section of the Psalms that the people of Israel would sing when they came for some of the different festivals throughout the year. In particular, these were the Psalms that were sung when they celebrated the Passover. The Passover was a meal that they had, remembering how God had liberated his people from backbreaking, hope-sapping slavery in Egypt, liberated from that and brought them into the promised land to make them his very own people. These were the songs that were sung. Uh, we, what I said last week is there's a little verse, you might miss it, you might not even just think it, in Matthew and Mark where it says this, Jesus and his disciples sang a hymn at the end of the Passover. In all likelihoods, These were the hymns, these were the songs, these were the prayers that they made their own. And so as we work through these, we just kind of have that in mind, that these were the words that Jesus, the King, would have prayed and sung and made his very own. These were the ones that helped him to understand what he had come to do for his people. But this evening, we've got three big points Three big points, and the first one is this, remember the story, remember the story. and Have a look at the way that this begins, verse 1, when Israel went out from Egypt, here we are just swept up straight away. Unlike last week, and unlike we see in some of the other Psalms, where we see praise the Lord at the beginning, here we're just swept up straight into this old story. The story of what God had done for his people. When Israel went out from Egypt, the house of Jacob from the people of a strange land. Here they are swept up into the story which shapes the worship, shapes the identity of the people of God. We know this. Our family, our community, our national stories, they shape us, don't they? We know that Britain were the people who stood strong during World War II. This shapes our view. That was the kind of language that was used to get us through those early months of the pandemic, that strong spirit. We have these stories that shape us, and it's important to know that. Um, if you are a Christian, one of the things you learn quickly as you start to look through the scriptures is that we are brought into a story. It's important to know that the, the death and the resurrection of Jesus are the culmination of a great story. It's important to remember that. Just think of it in these terms. You know, Imagine you walk into a room. You've been invited for dinner. And for various reasons, you've ended up being an hour and a half late. And you sit down at the table and you notice, you say, hello, everyone. And the scowls and faces, is an icy cold temperature. And you think, what has happened? There's, something's gone strange. You try to engineer the conversation. You say something and someone walks out of the room crying. and You think, oh, I haven't got this right at all. Because what you need to know is what has happened And what happens here in this story, in this psalm, is we are bringing ourselves back into this great story, not just of what's happened to the people, but the God who rescued his people and made them his very own. This helps us in grasping who we are. But here's the thing. The author of this story... The composer of this song, ultimately, he is still alive. He is still for and with his people. We're not looking back to an ancient dead letter, but the living word from the living God. And what he's saying here, and remember this story, is remember, remember your rescue, and remember God's presence with his people. So we see that there in verse 1 when Israel went out from Egypt, the house of Jacob, from a people of a strange language. To kind of bring us back into this story, this was the story of the people of Israel who had been in slavery in Egypt for 400 years. And one of the things we get even just a clue to what this must have looked like is we see there in the second line of verse 1. The house of Jacob from a people of strange language. 400 years in slavery and the language of their oppressors was still strange to them. It was still foreign to them. They were never viewed as people of value. Their only value was to do the work of the people who had taken them captive. This shows how lowly they were, stuck down in the dust, down in the ash heap. Faces down in the mud and the grime. But God rescued them out of that slavery. And not just that, but God set up his home with them. You see that there in verse 2, Judah became his sanctuary israel his dominion you see here's the thing the very heart the the very heart of the good news of the christian faith is this it's, it's not particularly now don't mishear me that we are forgiven our sins it is not particularly that we are taken out of slavery but it's that we are restored into relationship with God. Most particularly is that God dwells with his people. The truest, the highest, the richest blessing we have is that God is with us. He is for us. He dwells among us by his Holy Spirit. Uh, What we see here, in a sense, is a restoration of Eden. That God, when he liberated his people from slavery, established the tabernacle where he dwells with his people. This, he, the temple was built. These were meant to be mini Edens where God once more dwelt amongst his people. Where he walked with them. These were pictures of the true and full restoration that was to happen. And so what we're doing here, just in these first couple of verses, is we're saying here, and what we're wanting to do when we sing this song, when we pray this prayer, what we're doing is we are reminding ourselves, we are reminding ourselves of the stories of God's salvation. This is what we're seeking to do, is we're saying, this is not just the story of these people from millennia ago, this is our story. Our story. If you are a Christian, you are swept up into this story, and this becomes your history, your background. This is ours. These are our stories to treasure. Stories not to look back with a distant academic interest, but a reminder of who God is and what he continues to be for us. And what we see is... With his presence, with his people, comes his protection as well. With his presence, with his people, comes his protection. And that's our second point this evening. We remember the story and we recount the story as well. Here, what they do in these next few verses, verses 3 to 6, is as we... As this was written, it was meant to recount the stories of what happened for God's people when they were in the wilderness. So what happened is they were taken out of slavery, and then for 40 years they lived in the wilderness before God brought them into the promised land. And these stories here are the stories as they walk through the wilderness, and they finally make it into the place that God had set apart for them. We see this wonderful story, you see there in verse 3, the sea looked and fled Jordan turns back. Here's the stories of how God delivered his people through the waters. So in the book of Exodus, which recounts this great story, the waters waters symbolize death. At the very beginning of the story of Exodus, we get that horrible decree, that dreadful decree from Pharaoh, to say that all the firstborn sons of Israel were to be cast into the water. The waters were a symbol of death. And so when, they are, when they've left Egypt and they come to the Red Sea and they are encountered at one side with the Red Sea and Pharaoh and his army behind, once more the waters look like death to his people. But God delivers his people through death. Through his presence. Look at the way the language is. The seas looked and fled. When God, by his presence, went through the waters, the great walls of the Red Sea set themselves apart so that people could walk through what should have been death for them into new life and into the new identity that they had as God's people. You see, that's what happens when God comes down in his glory, in his presence. All creation, all of his creatures have to stand back in awe at him. Let me read this to you. It's a a little bit long, but I think it's really helpful. This is um, by a guy called Andrew Wilson. and He talks about what it looks like all throughout the Bible, all throughout the scriptures, when God in his glory comes down to earth in power. He says this, when God arrives somewhere in his glory, God displaces that which is trivial and ephemeral and forces the earth to reorient itself around him. The earth trembles and quivers in response to the arrival of a far more glorious and substantial reality. And he goes on to say this, when people encounter the true God, this is their experience. That is one way you can tell if someone has met or if you have met Israel's gods or simply a figment of your imagination. A made-up God will leave your world undisturbed, conveniently aligning with your priorities without displacing anything. The real God, however, will land in the middle of your life like an elephant crashing through your ceiling, displacing your sin, changing all your priorities, And forcing you to reorient yourself around the weight of glory. You see, this is the constant picture. We see it here as the people made their way through the Red Sea. As they made their way through Jordan into the Promised Land. That when God arrives, everything has to change itself. We must fit ourselves around him. God doesn't fit himself around our lives because he comes in his glory and his power and his might. But then we get verse 4, which I don't know, it might seem strange to you, doesn't it? The mountains skipped like rams, the hills like lambs. I think what this means here is if we kind of follow through the the Red Sea, the Jordan, that they pass through the Jordan to the promised land. And I think here we're getting a picture of what happens when the people of God, with the presence of God with them, the picture here is of the land receiving them joyfully. That's what the picture here is meant to be. And here we've got this picture of them skipping around like lambs, the hills like lambs, the great joy that God has come to be in the place where he is meant to be. Now, as someone who the most rural place I've ever lived is St. Andrews, I'm, I had to do a little bit of research and what this meant, so I looked online. Have you ever seen uh, a video of a ram skipping around? It's awfully funny, isn't it? It's not the most elegant moment, but it's an amazing thing. There's a great joy about this. And I think that's the, the picture that's there. You, you know that experience. When something grace happens, you don't break out into a beautiful tango. You kind of just wail your arms around and think, isn't this fantastic? And this is the picture here is that when the land which was set apart for God, when God came into it, it's the great picture of joy and gladness, deep-seated happiness that God had come to be with his people. But look at the way this goes, we get this picture here, we sing and we remember this, but look at what happens, verses 5 and 6, it's almost an exact repeat of verses 3 and 4, except that it's kind of shifted into the form of a number of questions, so instead of the sea looked and fled, it says, what ails you, O sea, that you fled, or the mountains skip like rams, verse 6, O mountains, that you skip like rams. So it 's kind of an almost exact repeat, but shifted into questions. What this is here is in battle, opposition armies that they would taunt one another, they would speak of their great strength and they would try to try to help people to see they try to put you off. If any of you has ever been playing in any sport, you might want to. Try put off your opposition by saying, oh, you've got no chance against my backhand. What's going to happen here? But here, they shift into something greater, something so much more powerful and so much less trivial. You see here, what I would call this is this is humble boasting. This is humble boasting. Doesn't that sound a bit like an oxymoron to you or a paradox? But I don't think it is. What this is, is saying it's boasting, but it's not boasting in yourself. It's boasting in the one who is with you. What what the people of Israel are saying, what we as the people of God say, is that actually we don't have anything in and of ourselves to frighten anyone. But when God is present with us, When God in all his glory and majesty and splendor and power is with us, we can boast in him. We can have confidence because of him. Humble boasting doesn't point to ourselves but away from ourselves to the one who is with us. I don't know if you've ever seen it before have uh, you ever seen that scene from The Lion King before? There's a scene with Simba. He's the young lion cub who one day is to become the king. He's told by his father that he shouldn't go to this place called the Badlands. That's where the hyenas run wild and free. But thinking he's great and wanting to be king already, he goes into the Badlands and brings his friends, his, another young lion cub with him. And they get themselves into danger and they get cornered by a number of hyenas. And the scene is, as they're cornered by these hyenas, Simba, this small little lion cub, makes this small little weak roar. And they laugh at him. They mock him. They think, what can you do? And they say, do it again. Do it again. And this time when he makes, and his mouth opens, this deep rumbling powerful roar comes because in that moment his father has come behind him bringing all his power and might to bear with him this is the reality of the Christian life in our own strength we are weak our roar is squeaky and impotent but when God our father When God the Son and God the Spirit, when when He is with us in His glory and power, the whole world must stand back before us. This was the reality for Moses. When Moses stood before the Dead Sea, he didn't stand there in his own power, but raising the staff which God had set for him, the seas parted before him. And this is the humble boasting of the people of God, saying... The great Lord of the universe, the one enthroned over the heavens, he is with us. So what we do is we remember the story, we recount the story, and then what we see at the very end here is we encounter the author himself. Verses 7 and 8, we encounter the author himself. I don't know if you've noticed, but as we've worked our way down through This point so far. Have you noticed what's been missing here? Or maybe to sharpen it for you, who's been missing here? Have you noticed that God hasn't been mentioned yet? Not explicitly. But here we see in verse 7: tremble, O earth, at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob, who turns the rock into a pool of water, the flint into a spring of water. Here is the big reveal. The first time God is mentioned and it's his presence. It's his presence which has caused nature to respond and stand back to tremble before him. And that's the big points that we want to see here is this call to all the earth to tremble before him and to rejoice that he has come in power and glory. But I think what we want to see here, and one of the things I want to say to us is where we see this fully accomplished, where we see this come to its truest and its most beautiful reality is in the person of Jesus. Jesus who is the Emmanuel, literally the God with us. And there's two stories in the New Testament, in the Gospel of Mark which are really helpful in helping us to see what it looks like when God in his power comes to be among his people. We see these stories in uh, the end of Mark chapter 4 and the beginning of chapter 5. The first story is we see this grace and mega-transformation. It's the story where Jesus and his disciples are on the sea and this great storm comes. This great storm, this tempest, frightens the disciples. The word great there is literally mega to get the idea of the size and the fearsomeness of it. And so they are all fearful, yet Jesus still sleeps. Verse 37 of chapter 4 of Mark A great windstorm arose. And we see here, they wake him up and they say, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace. And this wind ceased and there was a great calm. Literally, there was a mega calm. Where there was once great fearfulness and there was a great anxiety, a great storm around them. now a great calm settled amongst the sea. But then you see at the end... And he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you no faith? And they were filled with great fear. Once more, that mega fear. Here we see what it looks like when Jesus comes in his power. The elements must move at his being and at his words. But then you get the next story, that story, that strange story of Legion. The man who is has many different demons indwelling him. And when Jesus encounters him, he stands back in fear. And at his word, the demons are cast out into pigs who run into the sea. And here we just get these two small pictures, which give us clues to who Jesus truly is. Jesus truly is the Lord, the God of Jacob, the one before whom the whole earth must tremble at his presence. In our own culture, I think what we so often see is this pull, this push to see progress without presence this idea of we don't need God to move forward and I think sometimes the temptation for the Christian and the temptation for the church is to get caught up in that kind of mindset but here we see is true progress, true movement only happens when God indwells his people. When God is with his people in his power and his glory. The earth, the seas, the mountains, the enemy himself, death itself, will only stand back in fear, will only cower. Not before the church, but before the church when God is with His people. The true power of the church comes from her Lord. The true power of the people of God comes from the God of Jacob. The God who rescued his people out of slavery. The God who raised his son from the dead. The true power of the church comes from him. And he gives us that power by his grace. The gift of his Holy Spirit who indwells his people. We as the church are the new and true temple. The Holy Spirit is with us. Our confidence in our battle against sin. Our assurance in our battle against the deceiver. Our confidence in our assurance as we face death comes from the fact that God God himself has promised to be with us and God himself has made that reality true by his Holy Spirit who dwells in all those who have believed in Jesus. If you're struggling if you're wondering how you're going to keep going in the Christian life well you're not going to be able to give up now Give up doing it in your own strength. But go forward in his. Go forward in his. And the whole earth is going to ultimately tremble before him in his power with his people. And there's a wonderful little bit. Just see where this ends. We've seen how God has protected his people. How God has been present with his people. And ultimately that means God will... Provide for his people. See where it ends here. The God who turns the rock into a pool of water, the flint into a spring of water. And we don't have time to think too much about that story, but this is a wonderful reminder of God's grace to his people. When he led his people into the wilderness, his people very quickly started to doubt his promises started to grumble against him. But God was still with his people. When they had nothing to drink, nothing to eat, God provided for his people. And here's a wonderful reminder, God is with his people and he will provide everything we need to live the life that he has called us to. He might not give us everything that we want, But in his time and in his wisdom, he will give us everything that we need. And first and foremost, what do we need? We need him. We need himself to be with us. And so we can sing with joy and we can sing with confidence. We can humbly boast that the Lord, the God of Jacob, Jesus himself, the Holy Spirit, is with us, and he will never leave nor forsake us, his people, so we can walk forward and we can sing with joy, and we can praise him knowing that he will give us all that we need. Let us pray to him now together.